Greetings to each of you in the name of the Master. It's a blessing to be here this evening. I was blessed earlier this evening when we were in the men's prayer group, and I think there were 14 men there, met together to pray before the service. Uh, that blessed my heart. I want to thank you for that. Another thing that blessed me this evening was the first song that we sang, and I thought it went so long, so well with the memory verses that we're doing at the Good choice. The memory verses that we're doing, the end of the second verse says, set our hearts at liberty. That was good. And then I noticed verse 4. Finish thy new creation, pure spotless let us be. Let us see the great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory. I just thought, wow, that was perfect. I thought that went along with our memory work so well, and thank you for that. I thought maybe we'd go ahead and and do the memory work this evening. If you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Josh, maybe you put me on the hot spot. Do the do. (laughs) Okay, you all look, I hope I can say it, I think I did already at, at... Josh's, but uh, maybe I should do it here. And you all can check and see if I say it right. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Sometimes when you get up in front of a crowd, it's worse. You think you know it. But anyway, uh, I wasn't doing that to be smart, but you said do the do. I thought I better better try it. So maybe there's someone here that would like to stand up and, and share those verses. Brothers and sisters, I really believe it's God's greatest desire that you and I are changed into the same image of the Son. So is there anyone that would like to stand up and and say the memory verses. Okay, Josh. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Okay, thank you. I think that was verbatim. I was not watching, but I think it was perfect. Thank you. And it doesn't have to be perfect. We're not perfect people. Anybody else? Okay, that was close. Thank you. A brave young man. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, be putting us in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Very good. Well done. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. I think we'll, we'll quit for this evening. Thank you. That was very good. Um, <clears throat> I think we'll invite the children to come forward now for a children's meeting.
Good evening, boys and girls. Hey, y'all are doing better than that first night. <laughs> That's good. It's good to have you. Y'all want to start with a song? What do y'all like to sing? Okay, good. Let's sing that one. Jesus loves me, this I know. Than he ever went before. 
He followed the creek through a grove of pine trees and under a footbridge. Suddenly, he saw up ahead of there was a, there was a little boy up there playing with a boat. When he got closer, he he recognized the boat. Well, it was the boat that he had made. The paint was chipped and the sail was torn, but still he recognized that was his boat. There's another little boy playing with the, with the boat that he had made. That's mine, he shouted, running up to the other boy and reaching to grab the boat out of his hands. No, it's not. It's mine. I found it. No, it's mine. I made it. And I lost it now. Now give it back. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. <laughs> said the other boy, still holding tightly to the boat. The first boy said, I'll trade you for it. Well, what do you have? The, the, the one boy, he didn't want to give it back. The boy reached inside his pockets and he pulled out everything he had. I, had, well, I got some string and two bottle caps and three marbles and a rubber snake and a pocket knife. Well, said the other boy, how much of it will you give me for that sailboat? I'll give you everything I have, the boy replied. I'm sorry, I did not show you the picture, did I? There he is with his treasures, his marbles and string. Well, I'm going to fall over here now. I'll give you everything I have, the boy replied. You can have it all. It's a deal, exclaimed the other boy, dropping the sailboat and reaching for the string, the bottle caps, the marbles, and the rubber snake, and the pocket knife. The boy picked up his sailboat, and he walked back upstream under the footbridge, through the grove of trees, and back to the place where he had first launched his sailboat. You're twice mine. He said, hugging the boat tightly to his chest. He was so happy to get his boat back. Once because I made you, and once because I bought you. See, he had made the boat, and then he had to buy it back from that other boy, right? So it was twice his. He was so happy to get his boat back. Grandpa finished the story and he whittled the last piece from his block of wood. Then he handed the carving to Corey. It was a cross. This is for you, Corey. It will remind you of the one who made you and who bought you. So, Grandfather had fashioned a cross and he made it to remind, remind Corey. And here, here is Grandpa finishing up his, his cross that he was making. What do you mean, Grandpa? Jesus wanted you for his own. He created you to bring him joy. And then he paid for you, not with marbles and bottle caps and a pocket knife, but with something far more precious. He gave everything he had. He paid for you with his life. And here's Grandpa and Corey sitting there looking at the cross now. Corey clutched the cross to his hands. Thank you, Grandpa. That's the best story ever. Grandpa closed his knife and put it in his pocket. He said, yes, it is, Corey. Indeed, it is. Here's Corey and Grandpa looking at that little cross. You know that... He the verse that goes along with this story, you know that you were not bought with things that can pass away like silver and gold. Instead, you were bought by the precious blood of Christ. He was chosen before God created the world, but He came into the world in these last days for you. Now, boys and girls, I didn't come this evening to, to have a children's evangelism class. I just want you all to know that God created each one of you. God has a, spe a specific purpose for each one of you. And you know, when we get older, 
then there's times that we do things that we shouldn't, and that is called sin. Now, you all are not there. You all are safe in the hands of Jesus. But at some point, listen to God's call, and He uh, will call you. And let's don't forget the story. Remember, the little boy, he had carved the boat, he had made the boat, but he lost it. And then he was willing to take what he had to buy it back. And that's like what Jesus did for you and me, for Mama and Daddy. Uh, Jesus created us, and He was willing to buy us back by His shed blood when we, we choose Him. So you don't have to worry about that yet for a little while, but let's remember the story about Corey and his sailboat, okay? Thank you. Shall we sing one more song? What do you want to sing? Building up the temple. Can we do the motions? I hope it's been a while. Building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Say, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the Lord. Building up the temple, building up the temple, building up the temple of the Lord. Say, brother, won't you help me? Sister, won't you help me? Building up the temple of the Lord. Thank you all. You were a good audience. Good boys and girls. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you that you created each one of us. Thank you for each one of these boys and girls here. Lord, we are convinced that you created each one of them for a specific purpose that they would bring honor and glory to you. And Father, I pray that you will show your mercy and your grace and your great light to them and help them, Lord, to know what, what you're calling them to. Father, bless their, their mothers and their daddies as they train them um, and nurture them in the ways of the Lord. And Lord, I pray that each one of these children can be a tremendous blessing in their individual homes and in the church here. Lord, make them useful in your kingdom. Bless them and help us to be a blessing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You all been real good. Thank you. You may go back to your beds. Yes, I do. Really bad. <laughs> I have my KJV up here, but I have my sermon notes and any NIV. I was getting in trouble. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I kept seeing songbook, songbook. I thought, That's not right. <laughs> have recently passed across the threshold from the old year into the new year in 2024. And for many people in America today, the turning of the calendar is, brings with it a determination to do better. Hence, New Year's resolutions. Now, not all New Year's resolutions are wrong in themselves. Some people might decide, well, I'd like to exercise more. I'd like to lose a little more weight. And I think that's me after this week. <laughs> and spend more time with your family um, and your friends. Those are good rev rev resolutions. However, it's my understanding that on average, 80% of the resolutions fail by the second week of February. Let's see. This is the second week of February, right? So on average, 80% of the people that made resolutions on January 1, they're already in the dust. Why is that? Many people seek 
the power to change from within. Within themselves, and they don't have it. I submit to you that true internal change requires a transformation from, the ex- from an external source, the Lord Jesus. Now please understand, when I said people look inside themselves, now we believe the Holy Spirit does dwell within, but I'm saying a lot of people don't have the Holy Spirit, they look within to make change and it don't happen. But we do seek the, an external source if you understand what I mean. Yes, the Holy Spirit's indwelling within. But we look to a source beyond ourselves for transformation, for true change. If I told you all this evening that I could give you all a guaranteed formula for successful living in 2024, would you be interested in hearing what I had to share? Oh, you better get your coats. It's time to head home. But before you leave, I know just such a source that we can go to to get, to get that formula. This evening, I would invite you to Psalm 15. The title of the message this evening is 10 Steps to Moral Integrity. Psalm 15, 1-5. I'd like to read this from the NIV. God's Word reads this way, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He whose walk, now this is the ten steps, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteous. Third, who speaks the truth from his heart. Fourth, and has no slander on his tongue. Five, who does his neighbor no wrong. Six, and casts no slur on his fellow man who despises a vile man but honors those who hear him hear I'm sorry but honors those who fear the Lord eight who keeps his oath even when it hurts nine who lends his money without usury and 10 does not accept a bribe against the innocent he who does these things will never be shaken that's God God's formula not mine 10 steps to moral integrity Notice in verse 1, it talks about the sanctuary and the holy hill. They are terms that indicate the dwelling place of God. And King David questions not so much who it is that can inhabit the sanctuary, but rather what kind of person is eligible to live with and to commune with God. Now I need to get my... King James, because this is a 365-day Bible, and I'm str- I struggle to know where I'm at in here. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. You know, in Jerusalem, the pilgrims were expected to take part in ceremonial cleansing before worshiping at the temple. When Sally and I was in Israel, right outside the, uh, the temple, there there was a place where there were, that people could wash up uh, to wash their hands or whatever. But let's think about here. Have you and I, have we been cleansed before we come into the sanctuary to worship tonight? There's a couple verses, there's especially one verse that I really appreciate, God's Word, where it says that He dwells. We're thinking about dwelling with God. Turn to Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. Where is God? He lives in eternity. He always was. He always will be. God indwells eternity. Secondly, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. God dwells in eternity. God dwells in heaven. But where else does He dwell? And this is what blesses me 
and he dwells also with them also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. We're talking about revival. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God seeks, He loves to indwell the contrite and humble spirit. How's your spirit tonight? I'd like to consider these ten points that we have listed here and try to move them through them fairly quickly. But God has given us ten points, uh, a formula for successful living. Number one, he whose walk is blameless. To be blameless does not mean to be perfect and sinless. Let's look at what 1 John says. 1 John 8 and 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But here, on the other hand, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, to be blameless, does not mean to be sinless. But it does mean to be current. It means to be up to date. And I, I thought of the example of the uh, woman that was taken in adultery in John chapter 8. If you want to turn there. John chapter 8. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto Him, and He sat down and He taught them. And they had an interruption in the service, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto Him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto Him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even to the last, And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I don't have time to just break in and and we look at this whole story. But this is a beautiful story. I love this story. But... I'd like to ask you the question, do you think the scribes and the Pharisees, were they up to date? Were were they current in their relationship with God? Jesus said, verse 7, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. And what happened? Verse 9, were they current in their relationship with God? And verse 9, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even to the last. So no, no, they were not current in their relationship. They had some things in their life, in their heart, that was not taken care of. They were not blameless. God desires that we are up to date, we are current. It seems to me that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were euphoric because they thought, huh, we got him this time. It don't matter how he responds, we got him. Because if Jesus would have said, no, I don't think you should stone her. They could have said, okay, look what the law says. The law says that you're supposed to stone. And if Jesus would have went the other way and said, no, I think we should, we should not stone her. We should give her life. Be merciful. And they could say... Um, Either way, I'm getting a little bit confused. The one way, um, the Jews did not have the ability to, to, uh, to kill. And they could have told Jesus that. Or the other way, they could have said, 
If Jesus went on that side, he would have said, they could have said, well, you're violating the Mosaic law. So either way, they thought they had him. But obviously, they, they didn't have Jesus. And Jesus pointed to them. I don't know what he wrote in the sand, but they went away. They had guilty conscience and they went away, the oldest to the last. They were not current. They were not uh, current or up to date in their experience. The second one is he who does what is righteous. You know, there's a lot of people in conservative churches who can talk the talk. Josh, you talked about this this evening. Talking the talk, but it's more than that. It's walking the walk. But where's the evidence? Where's the substance? James 1, 22 to 25. Reads this way. James 1, 22 to 25. But be ye... Somebody tell me. Doers. Correct. Be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the Word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, there's liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. I'm remembering a young man that came to our congregation uh, for a while, and he struggled in some areas. And he said he just didn't really like reading the Bible because it made him feel guilty. That's a, that's a poor thing to say. But there's maybe some people that way, and I, I'm sorry to even share that, but it, evidently his, his devotional life was pitiful. Probably didn't want to look at God's Word because it made him feel guilty. I hope that's not the case here. I don't believe that's the case here. But where's the evidence? As people observe our lives, is there complete agreement between the verbal profession and the life we live? What is it that proves a genuine faith in God? Hebrews 11, by faith, Noah, what did he do? He prepared an ark. By faith, Abraham, what did he do? He offered up his son Isaac. By faith, Moses, what did he do? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Doing the right thing might catch us sometime, and I'll share one time when it caught me. Early on in my ministry, soon after I was ordained, I think it was a Saturday, I was at home working on a sermon for Sunday morning. My dad called me up and he said, Hey Jay, he said, I'm having a terrible time with my lawnmower. I can't get it to go. Would you come up and help me? I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm studying for sermon. I don't have time to help you. Jesus and the Holy Spirit ganged up on me. <laughs> that was a horrible response. I think the title of the sermon that I was preaching, What is True Faith? And I had the audacity to tell my dad, I don't have time to fool with you. I don't think I quite said it that way, but I'm studying for a sermon. I don't have time to help you. Pretty practical, isn't it? <clears throat> it was for me. I submit to you that true faith is more than a verbal... Let me say it this way. I submit to you that I believe true faith is more than an intellectual assent of the mind. True faith is more than a verbal declaration of the tongue. True faith is an active and obedient faith that's motivated by the heart. How is it with you? Number three, he who speaks the truth from his heart, from verse 2. Psalm 15, verse 2. In generations past, a person's word was kind of like a legal document. A handshake was often what held a financial agreement together, but that really don't happen much anymore. Truth is under attack. 
The Bible would bear out that our tongue is a true reflection of our master. Our tongue is a true reflection of our master. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 would bear that out. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 34b to 37. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Notice this phrase, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Notice the tongue is a reflection of the master. Verse 35. Verse 36. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. How many you know Paul Miller from Ohio? Anybody? Okay. Good preacher from Ohio. Paul Miller, a good friend. I like what he said as you think about for. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He said this. I wrote it down. I thought it was very good. He said, what's down in the well will come up in the bucket. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Reflecting our master, what's down in the well going to come up in the bucket. I thought that was good. Number four, he who has no slander on his tongue from verse three. Our tongues have tremendous potential for good and evil. According to Scripture, the tongue is one of the most difficult members to tame. In James 3, 2 and 8 to 12, I should turn to that. James chapter 3, verse 2. James chapter 3, verse 2. God's Word reads this way, For in many things we offend all, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Verses 8 to 12. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth produce proceedeth blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. I submit to you once again that our tongue is a reflection of our master. But which is the master? We need to be careful that we don't slander. He that has no slander in his tongue. What's the definition of slander? The utterance of a false statement, damaging a third person's character or reputation. And what happens? It, promo it promotes prejudice and strife. And we re must remember that each person is created, each person of, in mankind was created in the image of God and Jesus came to give His life for every one of them. Number five, Psalm 15, verse three, He who does his neighbor no wrong. We must first identify neighbor. Who is the neighbor? If you, if you want to, you can turn to Luke 10. That's a little bit longer passage. We know it, and I'm going to refer to it, but I'm not, going to, I'm not going to read from that passage. It's the passage of the Good Samaritan. And you know that story well. And you know how there was a man that fell among thieves. So the thieves saw him, the priest and the Levite saw him, and also the Samaritan saw him. There was three groups of people that saw the same man, but they responded so differently. There was a man years ago that preached a sermon at the bank church. His name was Marlon Freed. He was a, a son-in-law of John Risser who married Cynthia. Kind of a mouthful. I hope you can remember that. But 
He preached a sermon and he made this observation about this story I thought was so good I wrote it in my Bible. Maybe you think I shouldn't write in my Bible, but I write in my Bible sometimes. And I thought it was so good and I'd like to share it with you. We're speaking about the three groups of people who saw, all of them saw the same man, but they responded so differently. Well, how did they respond? The robbers saw a man that they could take advantage of and exploit. In essence, they said this, what's thine is mine, I will take it. Taking advantage. The priest and the Levite And you know, too often I think I recognize the priest. He looks a good bit like me. The priest and the Levite, they saw a man to avoid. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. In essence, they said, what's mine is mine. I will keep it. Don't want to get involved. But the good Samaritan saw a man in desperate need and had a desire to share God's blessing with that person, with the man who had fallen among thieves. In essence, he said, notice this, what's mine is God's. I will share it. So how about you? All of us find situations where we have opportunity to minister And most of us, I don't think, see people that we want to exploit or take advantage, or I hope not. But that's the first group. Often we find we've fallen in the second category of a person that we just kind of want to avoid. We don't want to get our hands dirty. What's mine is mine, I'll keep it. But God gives you and me a lot of opportunities to reach out to ministers. Christ's love to someone else. In essence, what's mine is God's, I will share it. We have that choice. So how do you respond when you have an opportunity? How do I respond? Which one of those groups of people are you? It seems Jesus' focal point in telling this parable was not so much refraining from doing evil but reinforcing the positive. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. He who does his neighbor no wrong. I feel like I need to tell you two stories here that goes along with this one. There was a man some, a couple years ago who came into my chicken house. Uh, we raised chickens. At the end of the flock, we often have a man to come in with a windrower and he windrows and makes three windrows down through the chicken house. And then he goes out and later on comes back and, and spreads this litter back out. Anyway, he was in the chicken house and he was going around and his windrower caught one of my black air fans along the wall. And anyway, he came after he was finished and he said, Jay, he said, I hate to tell you, he's, I was in your chicken house. He's, I got into one of your black airs. I'm sorry. And he said, I'll help you fix it or whatever. And, and I looked and it wasn't very, wasn't very bad. I said, no. I said, don't worry about it. But, you know, I really appreciate his honesty. About six months or a year later, the same man was in my chicken house. He was going around in the middle. and the middle, he hit my middle partition and punched a hole through the wall. He said... Jay said, I was in your chicken house. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, I, I run my windrower and punched a hole through your, through your petition. And you know, once again, I appreciated his honesty. It wasn't that big a deal. All of us don't really appreciate things like that. It happens. It's got something to fix. But I appreciated his honesty. And I'll cut a man a lot of slack if he's honest. Brothers and sisters, we like honesty. How many of you like people to be honest if they do something (laughs) that happens against you? I do. But here's the kicker. What happens when the shoe's on the other foot? What happens when I do something stupid? Am I willing to be honest? 
I'll tell you what happened. A year or two later, I had borrowed a neighbor, neighbor's backpack blower and had it in the back of my truck and the tailgate was down and I was going from chicken house to chicken house and, and doing the work on the farm that needed to be done, no big deal. Uh, I had to run to a neighboring town to pick up a, uh, a part at, at poultry specialties. And I got into Dayton and went around a corner. I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw a backpack blower sliding down the road into the ditch. Now what? I took it to a small engine repair and I told him exactly what happened. I said, hey, spare no expense, fix this thing up. And then what? Do I take it back to the neighbor and just hope he don't see abrasions, burns all over that thing? Or what? And I don't want you all to think good of me, but I want you to think about what do we, happens when the shoe's on the other foot. Are we willing to be honest? And it was a struggle. I'll tell you it was a struggle, but I went back to Bruce King and I told him, I said, Bruce, this is exactly what happened. I had your blower and it slid off into the ditch. I took it to the small engine repair and had it go over. I said, if you're not satisfied, I'll buy you a brand new blower. He was gracious to me. He who does his neighbor no wrong. Are we willing to be honest? It's a test. It's a challenge. It was for me. Number six, he who casts no slur on his fellow men. That comes from Psalm 15, verse 3. We would never consider murdering someone, but would we consider assassinating someone's character? Psalm 6, verse 16. Psalm 6, verse 16. Proverbs 6. I thought something was looking wrong. I'm sorry. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven, and are abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and the last one, he that soweth discord among him, his brethren. The sixth one, he who casts no slur on his fellow men. It's my understanding, I guess I, it's okay if I give a a bouquet to a man that's not here anymore. It's my understanding that years ago, Lester Heatwell, a bishop in our conference, had a lady that called him up and laid him out straight. It's my understanding that he responded and said very little. And several weeks later, this woman called him back and, and apologized for her attitude or what she said. Are you and I men enough of character that we don't lash back and defend ourselves? I just wanted to share that little bouquet for Lester Heatwell. <clears throat> In the church, let's make sure that we are not deliberately sowing ill will or tares within the congregation. Remember, you and I were all, all of us, were we were in desperate need of God's grace and we need to extend it to others. We could turn to Matthew 18, a classic example of forgiveness, but I don't think we'll do that other than to say, you remember there was a man that was forgiven a great debt that he could never repay. And he was so grateful for that. And yet he soon went out and found somebody that owned, owed him a few coins and he wrung his neck said, pay me what you owe me. How much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? Let's not do that. Let's not be those that cast a slur on our fellow men. Number seven, he who despises a vile man. King David often talked of the wicked and how he hated them. And that sounds really harsh. Let's turn to Psalm 139 verses 21 and 22. 
Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. David said this, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate Thee? And am I not grieved with those that rise up against Thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. That sounds really harsh. But I ask you, does David really actually hate their person or the influence? I don't think it was so much the person, but he was so concerned for the evil influence and how it might affect him. Psalm 103 verse 3, Psalm 101 verse 3, King David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. King David realized that close association with those whose walks and goals were not godly would have a negative influence on him. And I ask you and me, do we hate evil today? Or do we think, well, I'll just see how close I can get to the edge and get by. I hope I don't get burned. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And I couldn't help but remember a story from years ago. I was in Pennsylvania for a minister study week and there was a man named Charles Hamilton there. Anybody know a Charles Hamilton? <laughs> he said something that was really funny. I thought, I, can't, I don't have the twang that he had. But it's my understanding that Charles Hamilton and his family have a store Maybe similar to what you have. I don't know. They have a store, bulk food store. And some woman came in and said, Mr. Hamilton, do you and your wife, your family, y'all have television in your home? He said, no, ma'am. For the same reason, we ain't got a sore pipe coming up in the middle of our living room. <laughs> I thought that was, boy, that was straightforward. Straight. That was good. He was concerned not of the people. He was concerned for the influence. How concerned are you and me as fathers concerned for the influence in our home? And you don't want a sore pipe coming up in the living room. And brothers and sisters, we may laugh and sneer. Maybe it's not in the living room. It might be in our pocket. I'm amazed how people are so tied to their phones. And maybe I am too much, or the technology I'm speaking of. We're in Harrisonburg. We're going driving down the road, and somebody's coming in the op opposite direction. When they get almost up to you and they realize that danger has passed, their heads go down, and I know it's on their phone. Time after time we see that. And you know what? If you're in the store or something and somebody's there and they're, they have a tone, people grab their phones. I wish I was a little more in tune. What about the Holy Spirit when there's a tone? Do we go here? We're so tied to these phones. But I hope we can be directed by the Holy Spirit and He can speak into our lives. And we have a desire, oh, the Holy Spirit's speaking. I need to spend some time with God. I need to hurry on. Eight. He who keeps his oath even when it hurts. How serious is it when we keep the vows that we... How serious is it that we keep the vows that we have made to God and others? What does God's Word have to say concerning vows? In Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 to 6, I think it says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not keep it. So how about the vows? God is very concerned about the vows that we make. Let's be careful that we keep them. God expects us to be people of integrity. And if a payment is due and you can't make it, make arrangements. If we have agreed to meet someone at a certain time and you have a conflict, we'll call and reschedule. If you have agreed to pay a certain amount, follow through. There's a man in Pennsylvania that I know Currently, recently, was ordained a minister, but years ago, it's my understanding he was a broker and he was going to sell some soybeans or cottonseed or something, and he had, had committed to a certain price. If I understand, early on the price are here, and then later in, usually the prices rose up. So he felt comfortable to, 
to uh, set this price. And anyway, he set a price, and the price went the other way. Instead of the price going up where he could make some money, he, he had consented to a, to a certain number, and the price went down. So to honor his, his commitment, he would lose money. And it's my understanding he didn't quibble, didn't holler, um, and say, hey, this is what happened to the markets. Would you, I, I'm going to have to charge you more. I'm sorry. It's my understanding that he went ahead and he uh, honored the commitment that he had, had made with the man initially. That's integrity. Number nine, he who lends his money without usury. In the Old Testament, God desired an equality among the children of Israel. He did not want an individual tribe, individual or a tribe, to become super rich and the others were destitute. And that applied to lending as well. Exodus chapter 2, verse 25. Exodus 22, verse 25. If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, Thou shalt not be to him as a usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. And I guess in our day and world, um, we do allow people to, to loan money, and uh, especially if it's a reasonable rate, but God does not want us to be taken advantage. I hope that, that maybe if you have the opportunity to lend some money, maybe you could uh, cut your brother some slack or maybe charge less than what the going rate is, but um, not to take advantage of someone. The last one, number 10, he who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, from verse 5. When the children of Israel arrived in Canaan, Moses instructed the people to appoint judges over the tribes, and they were to judge fairly. Exodus 23, verses 7 to 8. Exodus chapter 23, verses 7 to 8. Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. And thou shalt take no gift, for the gift blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. God is just as concerned in 2024 that truth would be completely undiluted. And may God help us to be people of integrity, never accepting anything that would compromise truth. In conclusion, Psalm 15 begins with two questions. Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? That was the two questions. God's Word answers. These are answers for a formula for spiritual maturity. Number one, he whose walk is blameless he who does what is right, he who speaks the truth from his heart, he who does not slander others with his tongue, he who does his neighbor no wrong, he who casts no slur on his fellow man, he who despises those who are vile, he who keeps his oath even when it hurts, he who lends his money without usury, and ten, he who does not accept a bribe to distort truth. Psalm 15 ends with a promise from God Almighty. It began with two questions. Jesus gave the answer, the ten points, and then God gives a promise at the end. He who does these things will never be shaken. That's, that's God's guaranteed formula for successful living. May God bless you each. I don't know if we have a song this evening that would go along and then, then we'll close with prayer. Do we have a song that we could sing? I don't think I'm going to have an invitation this evening, but uh, would you have a song that we could sing together? Yeah. Let's sing number 356. Let's sing verses 1 and 4.
Thank you for that song. It speaks in the first verse. we pleading with God to teach us truth. And then it goes on to say that I may steadfastly obey. That's the hearing and the doing. May God bless us. Help us to be people of integrity. God has given us a formula for successful living. Let's follow it. Shall we stand for prayer?